kingdom of heaven is established. Here we are in Comstock Park, and by the grace of God, in this invisible kingdom, this invisible place, the spiritual blessed place of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says to us, here's what the law is all about. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's the first and the great commandment. That's why we're here on earth, to love God. And then we are to love the neighbor as ourselves. You shall love your neighbor, whoever that is next to you and in your life, as yourself, showing just how free and unconditional and, and real is the love of God to us. So we show that love in the interest of glorifying God and saving the neighbor. We would now receive uh, the law of God with gratitude, and 286 is our next song. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask your help that we may know 
You are near to us, for ours is a condition in which we are helpless and in great need from heaven. Our condition is we are human, and we are in a fallen world, and we have a nature that's prone, inclined even, to all sin. So there's temptations without and temptations within, discontent without and restlessness, and also discontent and restlessness in our flesh. So we pray, make your saving help known to us. And Lord, we know this is all about your smiling upon us for the sake of Jesus. We thank you for him, our salvation and our Savior. He's given among the sons of men and among those sons... We have been chosen out to be yours before the foundation of the world according to an eternal decree. And the Son is sent according to that decree to die for us and we are cleansed by his blood. And there's the application of that in the giving of faith and spirit. Thanks, Lord, that you've made us clean in Jesus not just squeaky clean as we clean floors and silverware, but clean on the inside as well as on the out, and justified clean, forgiven every sin, and given the right to sonship of the sons of God by grace. We're also clean by the Spirit given, for he who justifies also sanctifies. You have given these marvelous things of cleansing and to prepare us even for glory and even to partake of that as a foretaste because you're so generous. And we pray, Father, to know the cleansing work of Jesus. We pray that you would bless us in this dirty world and as we can be so dirty in tongue and in word and deed and as we need pardon and cleansing, because we get so dirty and and bogged down with ourselves and with our discouragements in this world. Shine your face upon this congregation. May it know itself to be yours. May Jesus Christ prevail. May it be that we are given much grace to press on and to be yours. We thank you for the consistory that leads us and supports us and helps us in this way. We bring the word of God to bear upon our different situations as we go from house to house and as we try to help and even impossible so-called situations to know that the God of the impossible is this wonderful God we have. And with you, nothing is impossible. We pray, Father, that you would bless us in all of our trials that we may know that the Savior has gone before. You are God with us, made like unto the brethren. We might know we have a faithful high priest in the midst. We pray that you would bless the bereaved. Think of Grace Kay and family as they've lost a mother and grandmother and a, a wife in this past week, and we pray your blessing upon them as they say goodbye, or have said goodbye, but would bury the body of Mrs. Faber 
and then conduct a funeral. We pray that this may be uplifting for all who attend, that there might be faith and encouragement and faith and hope and love by which a saint has lived and in which she died. We pray that we may know the arms of Jesus in our losses, in this loss, but also in other losses that we continue to feel, maybe of, of husbands or of wives or of grandmas and mothers and brothers and sisters. This life is a, is a great cemetery which bespeaks the fact of fallenness and of the wages of sin. We pray, Father, that we may in the cemeteries and in this fallen world know the resurrection. May we know that Jesus has conquered by his blood, the blood of the Son of God incarnate. He has conquered sin and death, and he is the one who ushers in his own, in his good time, and after some trial, to be sure, but ushers his own into the gates of glory. We ask, Lord, that you would give us to live by hope and faith and in the love that is shed abroad in our hearts. May we, Father, fly to Jesus and his word and take that word seriously as the very light upon our path that you give us to walk by. It is for now, and in the future there will be light for that day or that month or that retirement or that thing in the future with regard to our family or with regard to the church of Christ. And you will bless us when that comes, that day, that future, with grace to know what to do, how to respond, and to know Jesus in all things. But now, Lord, there's grace for now. If people realize that, may we not take into our own hands all kinds of things that our problems to us and even plague us. May we instead leave our cares with God and be God-centered and be those who give glory to God. We pray for this, that we might encourage others and not bring others down by sullenness or unbelief or bickering or backbiting or slander. May we instead have the word of God dwelling in us and speak that word and live according to it. We pray with thanksgiving for elders and pastor who are faithful, who lead us in the green pastures. And even when we need admonition, they are there in love and righteousness and courage, which we need and to which we have vowed that we are going to yield. We pray your blessing, Father, upon the elders and the pastor in their work. We pray your blessing upon the deacons, And we thank you for them and their faithfulness and courage and their hospitality and their kind hearts that they reflect Jesus' mercy and we know Jesus' mercy in special ways in the office of diaconate. We thank you for the offices that we've been given. This church is a grand church of God. It's a royalty. It's a bunch of prophets and priests and kings, which is no bunch, but it's a congregation and assembly of dignitaries which earth doesn't know of, but which God approves us, approves of, and makes. We pray to know this. No matter what our calling, we might think that being a ditch digger or factory man is not much. However, 
Because you sanctify us, you sanctify this earth when Jesus came to it as a place for our calling and our witness, our callings are great indeed. Because in them, no matter what we're doing, we have a heart for God and our employer is God and we are sons of that employer. We are the ones who willingly give our lives and all our talents and resources unto his praise and for his kingdom. Cause your kingdom to come in this world. Lord, we pray that this may be the spiritual kingdom, the discipling of the nations, the blessedness of those who know Christ. And may it be then in all the world, as you touch this world and sanctify your people in it, there is this, this amazing light that shines in the darkness and the church light institutionally and in her organic living that is a reflection as the moon is of the sun's rays of the light as it is in Jesus. God, we pray, destroy the works of darkness. They are many, and there is the kingdom of Antichrist being built, that great Babel of old, this Babylon, this great city of man, which is a great whore, which is apostate, which is not the true humanity, which is a rebel nation, a rebel world. We pray, Father, not to love the things in and of that world because they're not of the Father. We pray even as we receive the good gifts of the earth, as we are cultured as Christians, we may nevertheless be those who are different because we are yours and you are certainly different from every other God. You are the only God. We pray, Lord, bless us as we hear the word of God. Bless us as we give our offerings presently. Bless us, Lord, as we receive the sacrament, as we exercise the close communion and the supervision of Christ to the elders, as we get to know people, and as we would draw near in holy communion. God bless us. Encourage us. Help us, Lord, to know that these things which the world calls foolishness and of no account are the wisdom and the significance of God Almighty. Blessed congregation called Sovereign Grace United Reformed Church, all your people, wherever they are, whatever nation, tribe, and tongue you're calling them from and establishing your church in, may the persecuted in that world here and far be those with special measure of faith and courage. May it be, Father, that the ones who are falling away, churches even, that have long held to Reformed and Presbyterian creedal positions based on the Word of God, we pray that they may be Reformed and Reformational and called back to you, and if not called back to you as congregations and denominations, Lord, may they come out and be holy in their separation, in their protest. Lord, hear our prayers to contend earnestly for the faith, not just a man of the pulpit ranting and raving, but all of us, because we love you and we love your truth. Thanks for this, this militancy about this church in the way of the biblical peacemaking. Hear our prayers. Bless those who are in special needs and trials with burdens and Lord, help us all to cast our cares upon you, knowing you care for us. Forgive our many sins. Maybe we've walked into church and had a, 
rather self-justifying attitude or a posturing with regard to this or that or the other thing or one. Maybe we've had a bad spirit. Maybe we've had a bad week. Maybe this, maybe that. But Lord, may we not live by maybes. May we not live by ourselves and our reactions. May we live by you. God, help this congregation. The reality of God with us in the Bible, not only, but in our hearts and in our lives. For Jesus' sake, our precious Lord. Amen. We're not going to sing now. I put in an extra Psalter number. We're going to go right to the Word of God in Hebrews 1. We're going to skip 178. And I consulted with a pianist about that. She's not shaken up. She can respond well. Hebrews 1. And we're going to read the whole chapter, but focus on verses 5 through 14 of Hebrews 1. where Christ is set forth as greater than the angels. But here we have Hebrews 1. And just to remind you, I've been going through the book of Hebrews at the occasion of our supper sermons, supper celebration. And so by and by, we'll, we'll go through the whole book. But Hebrews 1, hear the word of God. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And then our text, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And just to give you a heads up here, there's seven scripture texts, uh, no less, quoted here. And... So the apostle quotes here Psalm 2, verse 7. To which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Now, the implied answer is to none of them, only to Jesus. God never spoke to the angels this way, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flaming fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand? 
till I make your enemies your footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And thus far we read this great chapter on the glory of Christ in comparison to the glories of other things and persons and angels. The purpose of Hebrews, as we reacquaint ourselves with this, not having visited it for two months, is to set forth the great Christ as the only way to God. As the great and unique revelation of God in the first place, and as the one by whom we have access to God, Jesus Christ. In the preceding uh, text, in the context of our text, Jesus is set forth as greater than the prophets and greater than the other words and means of communication that God gave in the Old Testament. Now God has spoken concretely, directly, incarnately, and with great articulation and detail by his Son. That's the great word, the prophetic word of God, Jesus Christ. But here, God contrasts and compares Jesus with angels. Could be that there was a problem among the Hebrew Christians of the first century to whom God writes here. There was a problem with them, and they're thinking that angels are kind of mediators to heaven. And they needed to be disabused of that notion and that idolatry by saying, no, 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 angels are important, but they are not Jesus, who is the only way to heaven. Now, for us, we want to hear these words in anticipation of the supper as well, because there are maybe angels that are being more popularized today in religions, and I'm told by the commentators that's indeed the case. Angelology is increasingly a fad among those on the internet in those of apostate sects of religion, in the name of Christ even. You have an angel, you pray to an angel. Kind of like the saints of Roman Catholicism, angels are right up there, of course, who are holy beings. And so there's this fad, this fetish, really, um, with regard to these mysterious beings, and we need to be kept from that. But then maybe there's other great things and beings that we have, maybe in the entertainment world, and we have Jedis and X-Men and 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 superheroes that we're thinking are great guys to, to link up to and to know and, and to, to pretend to be. Whatever it is, this word is for us, Christ alone, Christ the Great One, Christ the Savior. Let us have him and worship God through him alone. So let's consider Christ and the angels and I coin a term here, glorier. He is more glorious than angels and in any other being. But then there's this glory about him of inglory. And we touched upon that in a prior sermon, but this is the case here. There's an inglory about Jesus, which is his glory, his coming down, something angels never did. And then there's this amazing thing that is to be the fruit of all who hear these words from the first century on. We must believe this, and as we believe this and live this out, this 
truth of the glorious Son, glorier than angels, we ourselves are those who reveal the glory of God as a church, as people, as families, as those who go to the cross for reconciliation. There's glorious peace. Well, this is amazing. More glorious than any other institute is the church. More glorious than those who are great athletes and those who are great mathematicians and whatever are, are the people of God who simply are given to say, I believe, and therefore I speak and do the word of God. So for glory to God even in this, our being sons and servants of him, let's consider this, Christ and the angels. So a great comparison is made here, already began in verse 4, and this is what the apostle, I'll keep saying that, I don't know if Paul wrote this, but somebody did who was inspired. The apostle has been leading up to this comparison of Christ and the angels when he says he's become so much better than the angels in verse 4 by his inheritance and obtaining a more excellent name. Well, that's true, and we have to deal with that right away. Uh, what we're confronted with and uh, blessed with in this word of God here is once again the fact that Jesus has a name. Angels don't have the name that Jesus has. The name of Jesus is Jehovah God. His very name, Jesus, is that, Jehovah's salvation. And he's given Emmanuel as his name, and his name that he is the, the, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the wonderful Counselor, and so on. This is all given to him. And it's given to him at his uh, birth, not only, but also as a result of his accomplish, having accomplished salvation and being exalted to the right hand of God. He's given a reputation, as the name can indicate. But before that, he has this essence, this Essential identity, which the name symbolizes, son of God. And so the angels are compared and contrasted with him because to none of them did God ever say, you're my son. Now, to be sure, angels have uh, a name and, and they are called sons of God in other places, like Job. Job uh, is... Uh, uh, a book that reveals a lot of things, but one that it reveals is the angel world. The devil had access to heaven, and, and apparently it was a routine thing. He would visit there, and the sons of God would be there, and those are the reference to the angels. But the point that the apostle is making here is that there's only one son of sons. There's others who are called even gods in the Bible, all the dignitaries who represent God. And angels after a fashion, are called gods and, and high beings. But no one is the God, as our catechism says, with the eternal and natural uh, existence as God because he is by nature God himself. So what the apostle is doing here is from the scripture reminding us that angels are great, to be sure, and they may be called sons of God, as other dignitaries are, and, and they, they may have this different kind of being than we do, but they're not Jesus. They're not Jesus. And this is what we have to hear right at the beginning of Hebrews. 
And this is the first principle of all religion. It's not any other way to heaven than Jesus. Not any other God than Jesus. Boys and girls, adults, we all need to hear that. God with us is Jesus with us, the Son of God. And begotten. Today, he says, I've begotten you. There's a reference there to Psalm 2. There could be other references as well, as there is in the New Testament. I'll speak of that presently. But at bottom, beloved, the sonship of Jesus is this eternal begetting of Jesus. As uh, Micah says in chapter 5, that from everlasting is Jesus' sonship. From his goings forth, his being begotten from the Father, excuse me, is from everlasting. That's the son who would be in time born of Bethlehem. But already there's a, a begetting that... Uh, preview is a preview to that being begotten of the virgin by the Holy Spirit. That's the eternal sonship of God. It's simply a way of describing the fact that God is triune and there's Father, there's Son, and there's Holy Spirit. And Jesus, as the person of the Son, is one who has been among them with the glory of the only begotten of the Son, full of grace and truth, from forever. So we're not dealing here with a created being. Being begotten is not being created. And that's what we have to remember. The angels are created. Now, when were they created? We don't know. Interesting, in the six days of things that were made on the earth, not the day, that was the seventh day, but the six um, days of things that were made, no mention of angels. From Job and from Proverbs, we get the impression that the angels were there, however, at the very dawn of creation, having been created and observant and made to be ministering spirits already then. Maybe the second day, maybe the fifth day, we don't know. We don't know. But there is a mystery about these angels and the great glory of them because they're spirit beings. They appear from time to time, and in the Old Testament, that's one way God spoke. He spoke through these visits of angels. One uh, person called the, the angel of the Lord is especially a picture of Jesus himself. And so they were representing God in, in their capacity as his servants, and that's the other thing about angels. They're ministering spirits. They serve God, they praise God, and they serve the saints. Verse 14 of our chapter tells us and reminds us. A lot of people have made a big deal about that, and they speak of guardian angels, and they speak of the fact that we have a personal connection maybe with Gabriel or Raphael, the Lord of healing, angel of hearing, whatever it is. But, uh, and, and a lot of can be said about angels, but we ought not go beyond what the Scripture reveals about them. They're created beings, created to praise God and to serve God. You get, for example, a picture of this in Isaiah chapter 6, where the angels there are presented to Isaiah the king. In the year that King Isaiah uh, died, uh, Uzziah died, and it was given Isaiah to see the Lord sitting on the throne with seraphim, burning ones, with wings. Each had six wings, children. And 
And they had two to cover the face, two to cover the feet, two to, to fly. And one was crying to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And, and they were there. And it's like this constant presence of angels around the throne of God, busy and ready to take his orders to, uh, down to earth and execute his orders. But there's these angelic things with wings. And what's this all about? It's certainly not that we're created this way, but angels are. But they're great, to be sure. There's a greatness about them, and man is made a little lower than the angels, the psalmist says. He's an earthly being, but there's a glory of angels. They never sin. Not the angels that is referred to here. The angels, there there are angels who did sin. Those are called devils. The third part of the angels, Revelation 12, they fell with the devil. And they become demons, demonic powers, principalities and powers against which the angels themselves fight, and so do we. But these angels are good angels. They're never, they never sin. They're constantly praising God. They are constantly serving the church. They're never those who are in a straight betwixt do too, whether I should serve God or not, because they don't have a sinful nature. But they also don't have the image of God. They're not persons like we are, human persons in, who, who are created in the image of God and who, who uh, have this image restored in, in Jesus and by grace. So they're glorious to be sure in that sense, but they are not Jesus. As we said, they don't have the name of Jesus. They don't have the sonship, the eternal sonship of Jesus. There's an allusion to this in 2 Samuel 7 two, the son of the father, the son of David, would be the heir of the kingdom. And besides that, because Jesus alone is the son of God, the angels of God worship him. That's verse 6. And they're ministers and so on. They're worshiping Jesus. And, but they're not to be worshiped. Revelation reminds us, through John being reminded, that We shouldn't worship angels. This is the problem. If you start thinking more highly of angels than you ought, you start worshiping angels, maybe giving them a dignity they don't have and even praying to them as a kind of another way to heaven and access to the ears of God, like Mary is made to be in Roman Catholic mythology. Jesus alone is the theme of Hebrews. Jesus alone is the theme and the great glory of the revelation of this Bible. Brought out in seven different texts, and I am not going to get into them much at all except this one text. And this is leading to my second um, point, being rather brief on these things. There is something that we need to know, and that is this, that the Son, who is ever the Son and ever the eternally begotten Son and eternally being generated by the Father, eternally being God, nevertheless, is one who condescends to come down. And this is glorious of him. 
He comes down, he who inhabits eternity with God the Father in the communion of the Holy Ghost, forever triune God. He is appointed to come down, and he says, here I am to come down to save a people. He will be, in fact, in this ingloriousness, in this being what the eternal Son, we would think, should think it should be far from him, he will come down and he will take on the form of a servant, he who is the Lord of glory, and he will take on sin and he will take on shame and he will have to learn obedience by the things that he suffers. He will go to the cross. And this is in fact his glory. In contrast to the angels who never come down, oh yes, they're around and they take on forms, but they're not with us. They're not as one of us. They don't have to do with our salvation in the sense that they effect it and pay for the sins that we've committed and then indwell us by some spirit of theirs that they send forth. No. But the Son does. And that's why we love Jesus, don't we? The Bible says that he who sanctifies and they who are sanctified are of one. He becomes that close to us. He is that way with you. That's the glory of Jesus, his inglory, his being as a man, his being tempted in all things like as we are, and his taking on your dirty your dirty sins and my dirty sins and lies and everything else. He takes them on. He's made sin for us. This is the supper. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There has to be this ingloriousness of the Son that we who are inglorious sons of Adam might be taken back to God because God must be just. This is why. He can't just wink at sin. He, he will be God and at the same time he will be just and merciful together and this is how he does it. This is the way that's higher than our ways. The way of Jesus and his humiliation and his blood. That's the beauty about the gospel. There's a God very close who is also very high. Angels are always high. Not as high as God, but they're always out there. They're always this mysterious, untouchable being. And God has said, I'm going to be touchable. Now, have you known this kind of God this past week? The God of glory and of, of incarnation, and into your house and into your soul and into your decisions. The presentation of this glorious sun you see is so that you get it. You get into you, beloved, and into me, into our hearts, into our problems, into our lives. He wants in. He wants to be a part of this. 
And I know he gets his way, and I know grace is irresistible. We'll be talking about that tonight. We have a way, however, of resisting, don't we? We can take the God of glory. That's the theory. But the God of glory in glory, that is, who does an unthinkable thing and comes close by and comes to be as one of us and and comes in his spirit and in his truth into our heart and into our being and into our status quo life and very comfortable way we have about making ourselves very comfortable. Making our homes refuges from everything else and even from refugees. Because we don't want them in. Making our homes so that there's one throne. That's my throne. And I rule. You see, it's the amazing thing of the gospel that God is for us and then he's in us. And it's all this glory. It's, it's like unto an incarnation. I'll stammer a few words here. The Bible that's quoted seven times here is quoted as a present word. To which of the angels did he ever say, and does he say, and does he say, and is he saying? Jesus came in the flesh one time once. But Jesus speaks in the Bible always. And Jesus is speaking now from heaven because he's Jesus. He's God with us, to us. And the last thing he ever would want is that all of his religion and all of his teaching to the first disciples and now to the Spirit poured out upon disciples is that we just miss this whole thing and the significance of it, not only in our minds, but in our heart of hearts and in our daily living. It's not just about Sunday and dressing up and all this stuff. It's about every single day being God's. And so, not having angels and not having ourselves as God and not having Star Wars heroes as God and not having mom and dad as God and so on is what this is all about so that we have God as God alone and everyone knows it. Because the very sonship of Jesus is now by grace something we're taken into, not, of course, into his being, but into his family. And those angels who weren't sons, but they were servants, diligent too, they are servants, 
We're made to be them too. You know, the word angels simply means a messenger or a servant. That's who we're made to be. But the glory of Christianity is God has come down and, uh, and he's glorious above and he's come down and he's with us and now he's in the church and the church preaches and the people hear when a minister stammers because the Bible is something we're being drawn to, but not just that. It's the, the word, the living word that the Bible is. And the God with us. So, for example, with regard to your future, say you're a young lady or a young man, and you, your future, your, your future is, it's not known to you, is it? It's only known to God. Things change. Look at how Jesus is contrasted in his being creator and, and his being sustainer. All these things, the Bible says in verse 10 and following, they're going to perish and, and so on. They'll be changed, but you are the same, it's said of the Son, Jesus. Your years will not fail. You won't ever be mutable. It won't be said ever that the truth of Jesus has changed and now the church has to change her creed because the truth of Jesus has changed. No. And that means he's the same yesterday, today, and forever for your problems. That's what you know about the future, the one certain thing, the presence of God, the favor of God and the one certain one, God, with you. You know that? Apply that. And don't worry. Jesus himself has said, the sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Go to God. Now, beloved, that's what we preach. May that be what we live. Christ and the angels... Is there a competition? Not at all. Is there a comparison? Yes. Is there a great contrast? Indeed. But it's between Christ and all of the other great ones in our lives and all of the other demons and all of the people who call themselves great. A society of great people don't compare to the greatness of the Lord our Savior. Amen.